Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a cookbook author and longtime journalist. Today's episode is all about gut health hacks, little tweaks that you can make that will make a big difference in your gut health. I'm hoping that this will be especially useful during the holiday season when all of our guts are taking a bit of an extra beating between the cookies and the cocktails and the travel, but also that it can just be fun, easy fixes that you can rely on and come back to all year round. My guest today is the amazing Dr. Megan Rossi. Megan is a registered dietitian and nutritionist with a PhD in gut health and a research fellowship at King's College London. She's the author of the internationally best-selling book, Love Your Gut, and the founder of the wildly popular website, theguthealthdoctor.com, and the at theguthealthdoctor Instagram page. I love Dr. Rossi because she's brilliant and not only well-versed on the latest research, but actually involved in doing it herself. And then she can turn around and translate that research into pragmatic, actionable solutions that we can all employ in our everyday lives. On this episode, we talk about what causes bloating and easy tricks to fix it, what to do to feel instantly better after an overly indulgent meal, what she does to keep her gut healthy when traveling, her number one solution for travel constipation even when nothing else has worked, her best tips for general constipation, how to alter your cravings so that you actually want less sugar her favorite way to make drinking a little healthier, plus the best way to quickly get over a hangover, her thoughts on colonics, food combining, and digestive enzyme supplements, plus one gut health thing a lot of people think works, but it really doesn't, and one gut health thing we should all be doing but are not. This episode is grounded in realism. Like, we're not gonna tell you not to eat your holiday treats or not to have a drink with your friends but we will tell you how to feel as amazing as possible with the smallest possible tweaks. It's like a full episode of low-hanging gut fruit, which I personally am very here for. We would both love to hear your feedback and reactions to this episode, so screenshot and share your thoughts on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and she is at The Gut Health Doctor. And please share this episode with friends, family members, partners, There's so much good science-backed information in here, and a lot of it, unfortunately, directly contradicts some of the less research things, shall I say, that I see floating around on social media, so please help us spread the word. Quick reminder, before we get started, the Healthier Together Conversation Starter Deck is back in stock after selling out in just over a week after launching, which is bananas to even say. Make sure that you get your orders in as soon as possible so that you can get yours before they sell out again and have them in time for all of your Christmas gifts. You can find out more at htdeck.com. And if you need more holiday gift ideas or just a comprehensive review of my personal favorite wellness products of the year, definitely go back and make sure that you listen to the last episode of the pod, which is all about that. All right, without further ado, let's get into our gut health hacks. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. All right, Dr. Rossi, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and join us here and share all of your gut health wisdom. I am such a huge fan of yours. Likewise, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Can you give us a little bit of your background? You have quite an impressive background, and I would just love to to give our readers or our listeners a little bit of a sense of that. 
Yeah, so I'm currently living in London, but I actually grew up on a farm in Australia, uh, so slightly different environment. Um, and yeah, it was in Australia where I undertook my PhD in gut health and did my nutrition and dietetics degree. Um, but actually, it was after completing my my PhD where I really, you know, stumbled across the absolute power and potential of our gut health. And I was just like, you know, this is my calling. If I'm going to have my impact in helping people in the world, it's going to be by the gut because the new research coming out in this space is absolutely mind-blowing how our gut affects literally every organ in the human body. So it was after p- finishing my PhD where it was on gut health that I thought, look, how am I going to continue this research? So I looked around the world who was doing the most innovative gut health research, and it was King's College in London. Um, so I begged them for their job, and <laughs> I was fortunate enough to get one. So I moved over here about 2015. And at King's, we do a wide range of clinical trials looking at how essentially we can impact our gut health via nutrition. So whether it's things like improving our mental health or our heart health, um, all of which are connected to our gut health. What's is there something that you've been like, wow, this is really stuck with me that's amazing just one little fun thing you've learned yeah well I mean one of the the clinical trials we've got going at the moment is looking at food additives which is found in like 30 percent of the foods uh, that we eat on a daily basis most of us um, and it's suggesting uh, you know it's only preliminary data at the moment but suggesting that probably is not very good for our gut health so I think this whole world of food additives there's like 400 which have been approved as safe um the human consumption, but actually when they were doing all the tests, they didn't actually appreciate the potential and importance of looking at how these food additives were affecting our gut health. So a lot of these food additives are now going back through and checking their safety, not just on, I guess, human metabolism, but also the gut bacteria metabolism within us. And I think there'll be a whole lot of research coming out in the near future about, you know, maybe we shouldn't be having so much of these food additives that we've previously thought, oh, they're safe. Let's just eat as much as we want of them. That's so interesting that now that we're realizing the importance of the microbiome, in essence, that's going to affect how we thought of everything else impacting our health because we hadn't counted the microbiome as part of our health, essentially. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Uh, You know, it's only been the past 10 or so years where we've appreciated the full power and potential of our microbiota. So when I started at my PhD in 2010, there was just a little bit of research coming to the forefront. And why I, I decided to do it was actually um, because a lot of my patients were coming to me complaining of the gut, you know, even though they didn't have, you know, any disease in their gut. Per se, they might have had mental health issues, um, weight management issues, different cancers outside the body like breast cancer. And actually some of my clients were elite athletes, yet all of them were having this, you know, um, commonality of symptoms in their gut. And I thought, gosh, what is about this organ? So that's what made me you know, think, looking at the research, oh, there's not a lot here. I think I need to contribute to it. So that's when I undertook the PhD. And um, yeah, the research literally on a, on a daily basis, different clinical uh, research groups are finding out new and exciting information about how these microorganisms living within us is actually dictating so much of, you know, our hormone production, vitamin production, and just every every element of how the body functions. All right. Well, this episode is all about sort of like quick hacks and little changes we can do that will make a big difference in our guts. And since we're talking about the microbiome, I would love to know some really quick ways that we can support our microbiome during maybe a time of more indulgence in our life, like the holidays or any other time we're indulging a little bit more, like one thing that we could add in daily or weekly or 
take out daily or weekly? Yeah, I think one of the the biggest myths out there around gut health is that we have to go on these restrictive diets and cut out all of these our favorite foods essentially to nourish the gut. When actually the research suggests the opposite. You know, it's more about ensuring that we're adding in plenty of plant-based foods rather than cutting out food. So, I guess my number one take-home tip, a very practical one, is think about how many different types of plants you're having on a weekly basis. So, when I talk about plants, I'm not just talking about fruit and veg. There's essentially six plant-based food groups. I call them the super six. You've got your whole grains, your nuts and seeds, your fruit, your veggies, your legumes, and your herbs and spices. So all of them count to your plant-based food points, I call them. And the research shows people who eat at least 30 different types of plant-based foods each and every week have better gut health than those who eat the same sort of 10 on repeat. Now, whatever you add on top of those 30 plant-based foods, it's completely up to you. So absolutely, if you want to have, you know, your white chocolate or animal products on top of that, you know, that's not going to devastate your gut health. As long as you're getting in your plant diversity, what you add on top of that, like I said, is up to you. So would something like craving sweets be because our microbiome is out of whack in some way or what causes those like intense sugar cravings? This is a really interesting one in terms of uh, the some of the research out there, it's all based on animals at the moment, have actually suggested that the microorganisms living in our gut can take, change our taste receptors. So there is some suggestion that our microbes could be triggering some cravings. Um, but certainly what I see at the gut health clinic is a lot of people who come from very restrictive uh, backgrounds. So they've restricted, you know, carbs or simple sugars in their diet, and they've completely cut it out. When they're faced with it, then they go into this binging cycle. And that's more around um, the physiological state of the human body, where if it feels deprived and then it's faced with it, it will tend to overgorge on it. Um, So it's kind of, I think, the two elements at play. Um, So what I recommend for people who are having these really intense cravings is Think about, okay, having small amounts of these foods, but actually topping it up with plenty of plant diversity. So an example is, you know, white chocolate is actually one of my favorite foods, but it's 100% just for my taste buds. There's no, you know, fiber or anything that my gut bacteria are really going to get from having having the uh, white chocolate. So what I recommend people do is add some prebiotic foods into that white chocolate. So they come from things like dried mango and pistachios, also a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. I get them to mix that in there and then drizzle it with some dark chocolate. Again, they contain these plant chemicals that feed our gut bacteria. And essentially what I've done there is turned, um, you know, quite a selfish food, just my taste buds into a food that actually treats my taste buds because it tastes amazing, but also has the prebiotics and the fiber in it to nourish the gut bacteria. And that sort of approach to food is what we're seeing has the best long-term outcomes for whatever your health goals are, if it's for just improving your gut health, if it's for, you know, reaching your happy weight, if if it's skin beneficial after, all of those sorts of things come from combining, you know, your favorite foods are, are fine to include, but adding in extra plants where you can. Okay, so what, how would you apply that to something like alcohol? Like you're not going to put pistachios in your martini, I assume. Well, I often have gin kombuchas um, with oh. some mixed berries, frozen berries in them, which is a fantastic way to add some plants and some fermented foods into into alcohol. Um, but other ways is, you know, just reducing the overall quantity. So, you know, if you're having 
white wine, um, splitting it with soda water, so half uh, wine, half soda water, so you're still feeling like you're having the same volume, or every second drink, make it a non-alcoholic drink, or you know, start engaging with some of these non-alcoholic spirits that are on the market, because we know that um, you know, small about amounts of alcohol is absolutely fine. But actually, if we do have too many, so any more than two or so, those it can start to be inflammatory on the body. And again, you know, we all have these periods where we go to parties, we overdo it. You know, it's not the end of the world. I just think when I'm having those sorts of, you know, blowouts, so to speak, I do things like, you know, making sure that I'm adding extra berries to my drink and the next day have extra plants to kind of, you know, feed your, your gut and ask for forgiveness, so to speak. Because when we have too much alcohol, what it does is actually makes our gut lining a little bit leaky, which essentially means that the gut wall lining allows things to get actually into our blood that normally it would keep out of our, our blood system. Uh, and that can result in this cascade of inflammatory effects. But, you know, once you take the alcohol out, after a few hours, the, you know, your gut um, closes again, so it, it reduces its leakiness. So it's not like a long-term effect, um, but that's why I think typically people do get symptoms, gut symptoms, um, you know, within 24 hours of having, having quite a lot of alcohol. Oh yes. In college, we used to call it like the hangover poop yeah. and it was like a known thing. Like until you take your hangover poop, you're not going to be able to get through your next day. Essentially. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's the mechanism. <laughs> is there a better or worse type of alcohol for your gut? It really comes down to the alcohol content. Uh, so, you know, obviously if you're having spirits, it depends on the quantity of the spirits. Um, we do know that people who've got more, uh, gut sensitivity. So if they've got irritable bowel syndrome, then having things like cider, which have got a lot of fructose, the fruit sugar in it, that can actually affect the gut through other ways, not related to the alcohol. But if the fructose they eat too much at once, some people can't absorb it very efficiently. And then in turn, that can lead to fructose malabsorption and that leads to things like loading and loose poops and things like that. I know. OK, let's get into some of the actual. Oh, wait, no, I wanted to ask this first. What about when you are hungover? I know some people swear by like bacon or they have their like weird little hangover hacks have B vitamins. I love to have a big spoonful of fermented like sauerkraut or something. I swear it makes me feel so much better. Is there anything from a scientific perspective that actually does make us feel so much better? Hydration uh, is definitely an important one uh, because alcohol certainly dehydrates our gut and, and the rest of our body. But like you, I absolutely do uh, go to town on on fermented foods and extra, extra plant-based foods because I think, well, actually, I do know mechanistically that alcohol has made my gut a little bit more weak and a little bit more leaky. So I want to feed my gut the nutrition that actually I know is really beneficial for the gut. So when our body eats these plant-based foods, they break it down into, or the bacteria in our gut actually breaks it down to these things called short-chain fatty acids. Now, not to get too sciencey, but essentially these short-chain fatty acids really do fuel and feed our gut lining, kind of nourish it. So absolutely having some fermented foods and your other plant-based foods, you know, some whole grains, some chickpeas, lentils. You know, nuts and seeds, all those sorts of things really uh, can help you know, nourish that gut lining. Once your gut is leaky, is there a way, something that you can add in that would accelerate the getting unleakiness of it? Or is it just to avoid getting leaky in the first place? And like you said, that's not a permanent state and it will sort of self-repair. 
Yeah, you're right. In terms of it's not a um, a permanent state, it will self-repair based on, you know, what triggered the leakiness, so to speak. So people who have celiac disease, which is an autoimmune condition for gluten, uh, so gluten is a protein found in things like wheat, barley and rye. If people who've got celiac disease eat gluten, then their gut will become leaky. And then as soon as they take out the gluten, you know, it does take several months, but their gut naturally heals because it's taken out the cause of that leakiness. The same with the alcohol. Once you remove the alcohol, you know, it takes a couple of hours and then your gut um, will, you know, heal itself back up. I mean, it makes sense that if you nourish your gut, then it might accelerate um, how quickly your gut kind of mends itself. Uh, but there is, you know, no scientific study to kind of prove that hypothesis. But it makes sense to me. Got it. If you know me, you know that I am obsessed with tea. My desk at work used to have at least 20 different types of tea on it at all times. And my coworkers would stop by and be like, oh, I feel a little bloated or I think I have a cold coming on and I would give them personalized tea recommendations. Now that I work from home, you can be my new coworkers. I am so excited to share one of my favorite tea brands with you, Peak. Peak's teas are really unique. They're extracted by a cold brew crystallization, a super gentle process that preserves active compounds at maximum potential. One of the things that I love most about it is you just get powdered tea, which means you don't need any bags, which can often contain glues and microplastics or loose leaf brewers, which I love, but I use less often than I like because they're honestly so much work. With Peak, you just pour the tea into your cup and give it a little stir. And even cooler, a lot of their blends can be brewed with cold water in addition to hot. I love their ginger digestion elixir, the mint herbal, and the hibiscus beauty elixir. I am also obsessed with their daily radiance liposomal vitamin C. I took it in the weeks leading up to my surgery and religiously every day after because there are studies that show that vitamin C can help with healing, and I do think it was part of the reason that my recovery was so quick. Liposomal vitamin C has a specific encapsulation process that helps the vitamin C actually be delivered to your cells for maximum bioavailability. I also love vitamin C to support healthy immune function and also to help support glowing skin from the inside out. If you've been following my Instagram journey with caffeine, you might have also seen that I have been experimenting with matcha recently. Peak's Sun Goddess Matcha has long been the matcha that I bought for Zach. It's organic, ceremonial grade, and quadruple toxin screen for purity. Matcha in general is phenomenally good for you. It helps support skin health, digestion, and it provides a gentle, stress-free energy boost because of its L-theanine content. I've actually really been enjoying the Sun Goddess Matcha Lattes that Zach's been making me some mornings. They don't make me feel jittery or anxious like most caffeine does at all. Peak is currently offering an exclusive bundle to take you step-by-step through creating a healthy skin and energy routine, which includes their Sun Goddess Matcha, Peak Glass Beaker, and two limited-time offer bonus gifts, a handheld frother and detox book worth $45 for free. You can also get an additional 5% off on the bundle or anything else on peaktea.com slash Liz Moody using my code Liz Moody. Again, it's peaktea.com, P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com slash Liz Moody with code Liz Moody. I cannot wait for you to try this tea. Now let's get back to the episode. Okay, the number one question that I got 
when I asked my listeners what questions they wanted me to ask you, it was about travel-induced constipation. There are people who said, I have tried literally everything you're supposed to do to not get constipated when I travel, and I still it still happens. So I would love to know what causes travel-induced constipation, and then what are the best fixes that will work for these poor constipated people? Look, I absolutely understand, uh, you know, on a personal note, a hack um, that I found really beneficial is taking some psyllium husk with me. But if we go back to your original question about what causes it, it is actually different for different people. And that's one of the reasons why in my book, Love Your Gut, I've got this flow diagram for constipation, which is kind of like a brain dump of the sorts of questions I would ask a person if they were seeing me in clinic. Um, Because there's not one strategy that will help everyone's constipation. So, for example, some of the basic things is like hydration and fluid. Often when we travel, we aren't as hydrated. We aren't as having as many um, types of high-fiber food. So that's kind of a basic one. But actually, for some people, they're having all those things and that's not impacting them. Uh, For other people, it's looking at the types of fiber. Um, So that's where I I mentioned that the psyllium husk is a really uh, helpful laxating type of fiber that people can have. And I talk about the pre, the um, psyllium husk prescription in the book, but it's you know having depending on how sensitive your gut is, maybe starting with one tablespoon with 125 mils of milk uh, of milk of water, um, and then for other people, it's um, a case of not necessarily the nutrition aspect, but actually their um, pooping anxiety, which is a real thing because our, our bowels are such creatures of habit. So if we take them out of their normal routine of feeding, waking, and also just the general smells of, of the house, um, then a lot of bowels just shut up shop. The muscles actually stop to work as effectively as they do when you're in a comfortable home environment. So for those people, actually, it's about uh, thinking about doing five minutes of relaxation techniques around the toileting. Also, for those who who are more nervous because of the smell, maybe that they're you know going in a public toilet where they don't really like that, then actually I've got this amazing recipe for poop puree um in the book where essentially it's literally just alcohol a bit of detergent and some um some sort of like essence and what you do is you spray it in the toilet bowl before you poop and then you poop and then what it does is it traps the smell under the water of the of the toilet bowl and then you flush it and it's like it honestly is amazing i have a little bottle of the of the stuff everywhere in my bag also makes a great christmas present Particularly if you're on a budget, you can make them and give them to people and call it your poop puree. And yeah, it really like hides any smell. You know, like toilet spray, it just is disgusting because it just like mixes with the smell and everyone knows what's happened if you've done the toilet spray. Whereas the poop puree, you know, people don't know. It's magical stuff that you can make at home. (laughs) Do you think that airplanes are actually having, or is there research on airplanes having an actual concrete effect on your gut? Like I've heard people say, Look at what happens to your water bottle on a plane that's happening inside your body. And that's one of the reasons our guts get all messed up in air. If we have a little bit of gas in our guts on the ground and we go up in the air because of the change in the atmospheric pressure, that expands several fold. And that is often why people get tummy pain, extra bloating, particularly on long haul flights. And, uh, you know, when people go back down, you know, to to the ground level then the gas can can reduce but actually because of it the expansion that can create a lot of tension and that's why for several days after traveling people particularly if they've got a sensitive gut i.e more prone to ibs type symptoms 
then they can have yeah, a really upset tummy around a flight time. So what I recommend for those people is actually um, 24 hours to 48 hours before you fly, particularly the long haul flight, is actually to reduce these fermentable types of carbohydrates in your diet. And I talk about this FODMAP light approach. Would your audience know about the low FODMAP diet? They might, but I would love just like a 20-second recap so we can all be on the same page. Yeah, so the low FODMAP diet is a medical diet, actually, which takes out a lot of these really beneficial nutrients. A lot of them are called prebiotics, which feed the good bacteria. They take them out of the gut, uh, out of your diet, and therefore out of your gut uh, for a four to eight week period, essentially to give your gut a little bit of rest. So in the in the medical world, we um, prescribe the low FODMAP diet for people who've got really bad irritable bowel syndrome, and we know it absolutely works. And then after that eight weeks, it is so, so important that we actually start to reintroduce because, like I mentioned, these FODMAPs, i.e. a lot of them being prebiotics, feed the good bacteria. But when you've got IBS, sometimes you just need a little bit of a gut break. So that's why, you know, I um, developed this FODMAP light approach where it doesn't take out all of the prebiotics. But if you've got a sensitive gut or if you're flying, it takes out these highly fermentable foods just, you know, like I said, 24 hours to 48 hours before you fly out of your diet. So when you um, are going on the flight, there's not loads of gas because when our gut bacteria faced with these FODMAP foods, with these prebiotics, they eat them because they're really good for them. But one of the natural waste products is gas. Uh, And for a lot of people, gas is absolutely fine. You know, some of it comes out the back end when you fart, but also our body reabsorbs it and we breathe out a lot of gas. But for some people who've got really tense gut, particularly when when you fly or you've got IBS, that gas gets trapped in your gut. And in turn, that leads to things like tummy pain, the bloating can even trigger things like constipation and diarrhea. So if you've been having issues when you fly, it might be worth just sort of looking up FODMAP foods and avoiding them for 24 hours, high FODMAP foods, and then avoiding them for 24 hours before your flight. Yeah, but really important you reintroduce them because they are essentially fertilizer for your gut bacteria. You fly, I mean, you're from Australia and you're living in London, which is like, what, a 24-hour trek? I'm curious how you approach flying when you do it. Are there things that you do before or during? Do you eat on the plane? Do you eat at the airport? Do you pack certain food? Yeah, so I always do pack my psyllium husk. Um, So it's just a, a natural fiber that you can get from most health food stores. It's actually quite cheap to get. So I definitely take that because that certainly helps keep my bowels in their um, their normal habit and normal routine. Wait, and just to get really granular on that, like how much just mixed into water, do you do that before you fly? Do you do that every day of a trip? Yeah, no, I do it every day um, of a trip. And I have about two tablespoons, but my gut is very used to it. So what I recommend is that people do titrate it based on on their gut sensitivities, because if you uh, have quite a sense of gut and you have two tablespoons, actually that could block you up a little bit more. So yeah, it's all about you know looking at the um, psyllium prescription. Uh, and I talk about that in the book in terms of how much you should have based on the sensitivity of your gut and then building that up. But I, I'd have mine every day throughout the trip. Um, I also do take my own um, snacks on the airplane because the airplane snack food is always so terrible. Um, so I do make sure um, that I have them packed because I think 
your gut is already going through a lot of change in terms of the, the atmospheric pressure, time differences, you know, your sleep re- regime, all of these things actually impact your gut independent of diet. Um, so it is important that you nourish them with their favorite foods, i.e. plants, as much as you can. So, yeah, I definitely take my own. Um, if I'm quite stressed around that period, then I will slightly reduce the FODMAPs in my diet um, 24 hours before going on a flight. But actually, if I'm super chilled and my gut is 100% okay, then I don't even worry about uh, that at all. It's more of based on how sensitive or how stressed I am, <laughs> you know, how many, uh, how many books or how, how much work I've had to do before flying off. And yeah, that's and then hydration, I think, is the other one that's really important um, in the air uh, because your skin and everything dries out so much. I got to know what you're packing um, as your plane snacks. So I make um, a range of legumes. So I dry them out. So I get like the four bean mix and then put them in the oven actually sprinkle them with a little of extra virgin olive oil, a little bit of um, smoky paprika. Other batches I do rosemary. So I get a whole lot in and then hydrate them in the oven. So they're kind of like little crunchy um, nut snacks. So I love uh, taking them. And then I always take my um, my seeded crackers because you typically, you know, whatever you get in the plane, you can eat some of it. Like, you know, they've got, um, you know, some decent cheeses and some uh usually there's a vegetarian meal so I usually have my whole grain crackers that I make so essentially you know I've got all the recipes and um love your gut but they're mostly just seeds with a bit of oat flour and then like five different types of herbs and spices to really flavor them up and yeah they're probably my two like must-haves and then of course it all depends on like which airline I'm flying with (laughs) because some of the airlines actually give away you know fruit as much as you want fruit. Uh, other airlines I found actually they're really stingy and they'll give you only like the processed fruit tubs and only one of them. So um, yeah. You should do a ranking of like best airlines for your gut health. That's actually such a good idea. <laughs> oh, what about yeah. bloat? I'm sure that bloat, like it feels like it's really related to constipation, but I know that that's also a really big issue that people are struggling with. In most, in the most simplified way that you could describe it, like what is happening when we're bloating? Yeah, so it actually comes back to when I was talking about the FODMAP. So bloating occurs when we, so we've got this nine meter digestive tract in each and every one of us. So that tube that delivers food from entry all the way to exit is nine meters long. And if we think about what happens along that nine meters, it can really help people understand, I guess, where bloating comes from. So when we, we swallow our food, it goes down our food pipe, our esophagus into our stomach. And our stomach's like a washing machine. It chucks it around, cleans it, turns it into a puree consistency. And then it's released into the, the third section of the gut called the small intestine, which is a weird name because it's not small. It's actually six meters long. Now, in the small intestine is where most of our food gets from our gut into our blood. So most digestion actually occurs there. But anything that doesn't get uh, digested there or absorbed there gets malabsorbed and makes its way into this final part of the intestine called the large intestine. Now, the large intestine is actually where most of our gut bacteria lives. So the vast majority lives in there. And anything which gets malabsorbed in the small intestine and makes it into the large intestine, the bacteria eat. And when they eat it, like I mentioned with the FODMAPs, they produce a little bit of gas. It's just a natural uh, waste product uh, of when the bacteria eat food. 
So in terms of why people get bloated, well, it depends on, you know, whether actually they're malabsorbing food because they've got a food intolerance. So one of the common uh, food intolerance is lactose intolerance, milk sugar intolerance. So people with lactose intolerance, if they go and have something like, you know, milk, for example, uh, and which contains lactose, then actually the lactose gets malabsorbed through that small intestine. The bacteria get their hands on it and they produce loads and loads of gas. Uh, and that's why people can get bloated. So food intolerance is a, is a common one there. Other people actually, it's really uh, down to them just having quite a sensitive gut. And even if the bacteria are only fermenting, you know, and producing a little bit of gas from just the natural uh, food products that enter the large intestine, i.e. dietary fiber, because humans can't digest the fiber high up, the fiber always gets the last part, then actually the bacteria produce that little bit of gas. And if you've got a sensitive gut to start with, um, whether that be, could be because you are super stressed or you've had a gut infection or something else is going on, um, like irritable bowel syndrome, then that gas is really felt. And that gas puts pressure on your, your intestinal walls and that can in turn uh, result in some tummy bloating. So that's a, another common reason why, why bloating occurs. But, you know, the thing about it, there is many simple strategies that you can, uh, you can, imply, you can apply to really help relieve um bloating so i have a whole section of this in in love your gut but i guess some of the the key ones which people laugh at but actually can be super effective uh the first one being chewing your food well because we not only start to physically break down our food but actually we have enzymes in our saliva which start to chemically break down the food so if we're not chewing our food at least 15 to 20 times then actually that can put more stress on our intestinal tract and actually lead to more malabsorption which means more bacteria fermenting and more gas producing. So try chew your food, you know, at least 15 to 20 times. If it's nuts, you know, the studies have suggested that up to 40 times to really maximize the absorption of that nutrition. Uh, other uh, approaches that we know are really important um, is restricting things like the sugar-free food. So things that end in oils, so polyols, so xylitol, sorbitol, those uh, sugar alcohols, we call them actually, they naturally um, get malabsorbed in that small intestine. It gets lower part. The bacteria rapidly ferment them. More gas is produced. Um, I could go on and on. You know, all of the strategies are in it and love your gut. But probably an important one, non-diet strategy, because I think a lot of the time when we think about bloating, we fixate on diet. Or actually, there are some non-diet ways to help with bloating, such as um, ensuring you're not wearing tight clothes all day. You know, a lot of us live in our gym gear uh, and the studies have shown this, it's a concept called the tight pants syndrome. Actually living in a, you know, with these compressed gut can trigger bloating uh, in itself. And then also stress. So trying to de-stress, whether it's doing something like um, you know, gut-tracted yoga flow uh, or whether it's doing, you know, 10 minutes of belly breathing, all of them can help with bloating as well. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens maybe five years ago because I was traveling a lot and I wanted an alternative to green smoothies when I was on the go. I actually don't think that I've taken a trip without it since because it makes such a difference with travel constipation. I went from having constant gut problems on trips to being able to poop regularly and also still feeling energized even though when I travel, I'm usually mainlining croissants like five times a day. The energy element is the main reason I started to bring it into my daily life. 
As I'm sure you're very sick of hearing me say, I don't drink coffee or any type of caffeinated tea in the morning. It just messes with my anxiety too much and it makes me feel jittery and then crashy later. Now, when I feel sluggish in the morning, I mix a scoop of AG1 into water and chug it down. It's honestly like instant energy. And unlike caffeine, it's real energy that comes from flooding your body with nutrients, not stealing from your adrenals. So there's no jitters, no crash, nothing. Just this feeling of like vim and vigor and being ready to take on the day. AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that were specifically selected to support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. And maybe even more importantly, they actually use clinically researched amounts of everything they include. So you're actually getting the studied benefits. I checked on that because a lot of times, even if it actually says something on the package, it's like such a tiny pinch that it's basically just marketing. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. And they're third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. I know you're going to ask how it tastes, and I'm going to be honest, I actually love it. It tastes a little sweet, a little grassy, and really bright and fresh. I'd say it's like a really good green juice. I've also come to crave the flavor simply because I associate it with making me feel so good. I've basically pavloved myself. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash healthier together. I love the travel packs. I keep one with me at pretty much all times, and the vitamin D3 and K2 is amazing. You actually want to make sure that you look for K2 with your D3 because the K2 helps the D transport calcium to your bones where it's needed rather than calcifying in your arteries. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash healthier together to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, let's get back to the episode. Is there anything where if we're like, well, I forgot to chew and I forgot to avoid the foods that I'm maybe less intolerant of and I'm already stressed and here I am, I'm bloated. Like I didn't do any of my preventative strategies and now I'm bloated. Is there anything that we can do post facto when we're just uncomfortable and want to feel better? Yeah, well, I mean, it will depend if the bloating is um, straight after you've eaten. So if the bloating is actually just because you've eaten loads and therefore your stomach is overexpanded, we know that going for a gentle walk can help. Um, remember the stomach being like a washing machine can help the washing machine kind of clean the food faster and allow the food to move through the intestinal tract. So it's not all jammed in that, in that washing machine, that, that stomach. Um, chewing, chewing gum can also help again with your stomach releasing the food into the small intestine to help it with absorption. So if it's, you know, due to just having a large meal, then those sorts of strategies can help. If it's actually you're experiencing, you know, the bloating maybe, um, later in the afternoon it's kind of the build-up of the day and i.e it's more related to the the fermentation the the gas build-up um then we know that doing some gut directed yoga flow movements um can help release that gas also putting a, a hot water bottle on your tummy can help um particularly if you're more um you know at risk of things like ibs can help diffuse uh some of that gas by allowing the blood vessels to kind of help relax those gut muscles. And then you mentioned like xylitol and these sugar alcohol sweeteners. 
How do other sort of artificial sweeteners, particularly the ones that we often rely on in the health food world, like stevia and monk fruit, do you have thoughts on those in terms of gut health? Yeah, so there is um, more and more research coming out around these artificial, not artificial, these natural sweeteners, but low calorie sweeteners. And a lot of them are suggesting they're probably not great for our gut bacteria. Um, but that has all been on uh, animal studies at the moment. There is a real lack of human clinical trials looking at how it impacts our gut bacteria. And I think probably it will come down to the dosing of it. So if we're having loads and loads of these natural low-calorie sweeteners uh, like stevia, then I, I suspect they will have a negative impact on our gut bacteria. But if we're only having small amounts, uh, then it's probably okay. It's more, again, about if your base of your diet is loaded with different types of plants that will probably you know, outweigh any harm. But we certainly do need to wait for the clinical trials to come through before we know for sure. It's so interesting because on one hand, I'm like, it definitely feels too good to be true. Like I, <laughs> I've, I indulge in the sodas that, you know, contain them and I've not had soda for years and years and years. So I'm just like, oh, this is wonderful. But then on the other hand, I can talk myself into like, well, monk fruit and stevia are plants. And if you were having like a spinach drink, you wouldn't be feeling like it was too good to be true, you know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that um, that mindset. Um, but we also, you know, you, we do need to keep in mind that actually these low-calorie sweeteners, even if they are natural, they are changing our, our taste receptors in our mouth and do start to make us um, expect sweeter flavors. And actually, I certainly do see um, in clinic all the time is that people who have switched over to the sweeteners, even though they're low-calorie sweeteners, they start to notice that they're craving, having more intense cravings for sweet foods, you know, on a daily basis because their taste receptors have have gotten used to having, you know, so much sweetness. That's really interesting. I also read there was some study about how they actually do like spike your blood sugar as if you like your your body expects sugar or something. I'm not a scientist, so I couldn't interpret it probably as well as you could, but I was reading about that. Yeah, no, and there does seem to be this individualized effect of sweeteners. Um, so one of the clinical trials, a very small study, but it looked at the effect. I think it was um, aspartame on blood sugar spikes. And what they found that for some people, actually, oddly, like you said, it did spike the blood sugars, but other people, it didn't have any impact. So I think this will all come down to the to the role of, you know, that we all contain our own unique array of gut bacteria which ultimately can ferment some of these artificial, or not just artificial, but low-calorie sweeteners in general, um, as well as our genetics. So it's not just our genetics we need to think about anymore. It's also the bacteria. They have their own genetics, um, which makes this whole world of personalized nutrition so complex and certainly something I think will be huge in, in the next 10 years. Uh, but at the moment, the research isn't there yet. So if anyone is thinking about paying large amounts of money to do these you know, expensive personalized nutrition uh, tests, whether sending poop away or blood samples away, I'd say you know probably hold off um, because the the science really hasn't caught up to I guess this commercialization of the concept just yet. Not to harp on it too much, but I, I have a sweet tooth, so I'm like I'm like I want to get all of the information about the sugar because sugar is also not ideal for our gut either, right? So would you say? In terms of lesser of two evils, would you put some stevia in your tea if you wanted to sweeten it or in your oatmeal? Or do you think it's better to use a small amount of sugar? 
Yeah, this is a great question. So um, in terms of sugar, so table sugar, we call it sucrose. What that what happens with that is actually most of it is digested very high up our nine meter digestive tract. So actually the sugar doesn't really get to our gut bacteria. So the concept that sugar is bad for the gut um, is actually not true. What okay, we know- let's just stop there. No, that sounds great. Perfect. <laughs> That's all of the info that I need. <laughs> all the sugar is fine, right? It's totally good for me. No. So this is what we need to keep in mind is that it's more of the fact that if we're loading up on added sugars, then actually we're starving our gut bacteria. We're not giving our bacteria the whole plants that it really needs. Um, so typically in all my recipes, I sweeten my um, foods with things like dates and with bananas because what that does, it not only has the natural sugars in it, but it also contains these other chemicals called phytochemicals, which we know also feeds our gut bacteria. So that's the way that I see it is having a little bits of, of the, you know, sugar is fine, but we need to add in the nutrients that are going to actually feed and nourish our gut bacteria. So, you know, it is on a a case-by-case basis, but broadly speaking, and certainly what I do uh, is try to limit the the amount of these sweeteners and opt for the whole fruit versions because I know that's um, going to actually have additive benefits for my gut bacteria. And I do love that your whole approach, especially as we're coming into the new year and people are thinking about New Year's resolutions, it sounds like instead of you saying, you know, do somebody might have a resolution like I'm going to not eat dessert you would you wouldn't it sounds like with your approach you wouldn't have people do resolutions around subtracting things but all around adding like everything seems to be about like what are you adding in how many plants are you adding in rather than focusing on what you're eliminating or leaving out exactly it's all about inclusion not exclusion and even if your goal is around weight management that approach really does help because what we know about adding in plants is actually it's loaded with the dietary fiber, which the bacteria then, like I said, break down to these plant chemicals, some of which are called short-chain fatty acids, which help regulate your appetite. So actually adding in plants uh, can keep you fuller and therefore your, you know, your portion of you know, the treat foods uh, is, is just going to be smaller uh, by default. But you're not sitting there and saying like, you can't have a cookie, you can't have a cookie, you can't have a cookie. Yeah, it's have your cookie, but also have um, some plants with it. So why not grate some zucchini in your cookies? I I have great recipes on that or even some kale. But hey, yeah, have your chalk chips in there as well. Um, So it's all about adding in some extra plants along with your favorite food. I'd love to speak briefly to how our gut health impacts our skin. I would love some like gut health hacks that will make us have really glowing skin or potentially even because it's winter time and our skin is really dry right now. Mine is I'm like a crispy, like, ugh, it's, it's nasty. <laughs> um, <laughs> is there anything I can do to nourish my skin from the inside out? Yeah, absolutely. So there certainly is this connection called the gut skin axis. So this dual way connection between how we treat our gut microbes and also our skin health. And actually, the research has shown that people who eat um, more plant-based foods, i.e. nourishing their gut health, seem to have, uh, you know, lower signs of um, skin aging. So particularly as uh, we get older, myself included, I have started to be like, oh, not only am I going to nourish my gut bacteria, but also, you know, helping delaying uh, the aging, the oxidation of my skin. Um, So we knew that's certainly an important one. You know, if we think about specific foods uh, that have been shown mainly in clinical trials to really nourish our skin and that being via our gut, we know that things like actually dark chocolate 
we call them poly, polyphenols in the dark chocolate, has been shown to help protect our skin from oxidative stress. Green tea is also one, as well as things like walnuts with the omega-3s in it, um, avocados for the fatty acids, sunflower seeds as well is also another one which has been shown to be linked with better um, gut skin access. So, yeah, where you can add in as many plants as you can along with those um, those few ones. Also, actually, a good one is with tomatoes. Um, we know that the um, the chemicals in tomatoes can can help uh, protect our skin from the from the sun. Obviously, not as important in winter, but what this research has shown is that actually adding a little bit of fat and cooking it with the tomatoes helps our body absorb uh, those nutrients uh, even more. So that can really help, I guess, enhance our skin protection. So when you're having your tomatoes, think, hey, why don't I fry a little bit of that with some extra virgin olive oil or have it with some full-fat Greek yogurt to really maximize your body's absorption of those important plant chemicals for the skin. Ooh, I love that. We love talking about our gut health here on the Healthier Together podcast, which is why I'm so excited to share the life-changing Seed Daily Symbiotic. I actually discovered Seed back when I was working as an editor full-time. A bottle came across my desk, and I was instantly taken by how cute the green glass packaging is. Then I found out that that packaging was actually refillable so that Seed could share its products as sustainably as possible. And then I actually looked into the research behind Seed, and well, I was blown away. First of all, seed is not just a probiotic, it is a symbiotic. That means it contains both pre and probiotics, which is super important. In fact, if you remember my Ask the Doctor Gut Health Edition, we talked about how prebiotics are one of the most important and often underlooked components of great gut health. Let me break it down for you. Probiotics are the live bacteria that are so beneficial to our gut health, but prebiotics are the food that those probiotics need to thrive. If you don't have ample prebiotics, the probiotics you're consuming will be undernourished and not be able to help your health in the way that you want. Speaking of your health, there's also a common misconception that probiotics or symbiotics are for people with gut issues, which is so not true. Like, yes, the seed symbiotic is amazing for your gut health, but your gut health impacts everything in your entire body, your skin, your mental health, your cardiovascular health your ability to actually assimilate the maximum amount of nutrients from all that healthy food you're eating, having a happy gut is critical for all of it. It is hard to narrow down everything else that I love about seed. I am extremely particular with my supplements and I don't take many, but seed is just stellar across the board. It's been tested and tested and tested. Seriously, their testing process is bananas to make sure that it has 100% survival through the digestive process, which is so rare. And somehow they do all of that without needing refrigeration, which is very handy. I find that when I have refrigerated probiotics, I just forget about them and they get buried behind like old jars of pasta sauce, whereas I keep these on my bedside table. So I'm reminded to take them every single night. They also contain the 24 strains that are the most scientifically studied to support your whole body's health. I am obviously passionate about this stuff. Taking care of my gut has been a key part of my own anxiety journey and Seed has been a vital part of that. So feel free to reach out with any questions. And if you like learning about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in some of the easiest to understand ways that I have ever seen. 
And if you would like to try Seed for yourself and pretty much change your life forever, you can go to Seed.com and use the code LizMoody for 15% off your first month's supply of Seed's daily symbiotic. Again, that's code LizMoody on Seed.com. Now, let's get back to the episode. What about the ones that we, I've heard about like hibiscus tea being really good for skin. And then I've also heard and maybe experienced that olive oil is, I was doing this olive oil tasting trip in Italy. And so we were literally drinking olive oil for like a week or two. And I swear my skin looked better. Yeah. I mean, olive oil is the most world's, is the world's most studied oil out there in terms of health benefits. Um, So I'm a huge fan of extra virgin olive oil in particular. Um, and we know that's loaded with not only these beneficial fatty acids, but these polyphenols, which nourish the gut bacteria. And we, yeah, we certainly do see the fatty acids may have that benefit on our skin health as well. So I'm all for adding extra virgin olive oil to your diet wherever you can. But maybe not drinking it? You know, the studies, have uh, <laughs> they have um, included about 60 mils of uh, olive oil a day and have shown things like increased longevity, gut bacteria, heart health risk, et cetera. So, you know, it depends, I guess, what your, um, where you are with your weight goals, et cetera. Uh, but if you can, absolutely adding in, you know, plenty of olive oil, according to the research, shows that it's linked to the range of health benefits. Also, a fun fact that I learned on that tasting trip is that if it makes you cough, like if it has that sort of almost like bitter effect where it'll make you cough when you drink it, it means that it has a stronger amount of those polyphenols and antioxidants. So if you have that little bit of a cough in your throat, that it's actually better for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, the same with a lot of our bitter foods. It's these polyphenols. Um, that's, that's the element of why it makes them that little bit bitter. Same with the dark chocolate, red wine, et cetera. Uh, and they're the, the beneficial elements. Can you, so the bitter foods thing is interesting. I was interviewing, I think it was Gigi Hadid's dermatologist years ago. And he was like, Gigi Hadid's secret to glowing skin is she has dandelion greens every day because the bitter foods help support the liver and that helps her body clear out the stuff that wouldn't make her skin glow. Do you have any thoughts on the truth of that? Well, I think if you are just, you know, fixating on this one type of plant, I think that isn't necessarily going to achieve, you know, all of your, you know, health goals. Maybe it will, you know, help one element of your skin, but actually, you know, other studies have shown that diversity of plants can help uh, also with the the skin strength, etc. So my mind, in my mind, it really is about plant diversity. So not fixating on just one nutrient or one type of plant, um, because there is literally tens of thousands of plants out there with tens of thousands of different types of plant chemicals in it that can do different things for the body. So if you are restricting your diet to just fixating on one, then you're missing out so much of the potential of the plant world. But to that point, I bet a lot of us don't include something like dandelion greens in our diet. So it's it's an interesting sort of wake up call to be like, well, do I just go to the same four types of greens all the time? Do I just put spinach in my smoothie? Do I just have broccoli when I do a roast, et cetera? Absolutely. And that's why I typically set people that challenge of 30 different types of plant-based foods each and every week. So, you know, it's about counting how many you, you're having at the moment. And, you know, once a week, maybe think, oh, actually, I'm always having the apples or I'm always having the spinach. Why, why can't I think of another type of fruit or another type of veg to really diversify my diet? Like the dandelions. I, I love that. 
Could you give us one example of something we might not reach for at the grocery store, but that would be at the grocery store? So not the like super crazy and how you would prepare it so it tastes really good? Yeah, that's a good one because people would be really surprised at how many of these typically exotic types of plant-based foods are actually at the local supermarket. So, you know, in the UK at like this, you know, fairly accessible major supermarket, there is this nine grain mix where essentially it takes 10 minutes to cook. You just put it in some water, just like you would with cooking rice. Um, And it's got nine different types of grains in it, like things like frika, buckwheat, um, quinoa, all the things which you think would be really expensive or hard to attain or as well as hard to cook. Uh, So I am always shouting out about that product. It's super accessible financially. So what I recommend is people actually go to the supermarket, maybe spend an extra, you know, five, 10 minutes going down the aisles and checking out the different foods available. Another one, you know, is legumes. So canned legumes, whether it's things like your butter beans, your cannelloni beans, your black beans, um, your adzuki beans. There are so many different beans, super accessible. Just make sure they are in water, not in salty brine or anything like that. You get them, you double rinse them just to reduce um, any of any of the, well, too much of the FODMAPs, which can make the trigger your bloating. Uh, and then they're good to go, you know, in a salad, on pizza, in a stir fry, in soups, really versatile. I love the idea of doing a little explore sash at your supermarket because I do think we all tend to go in and we're like, we have our list and we need to get it done and it's a task and like really taking. And that's one of the reasons too, when I go to farmer's markets, I feel like it's a really wonderful experience. I end up buying things that I normally wouldn't because I treat it almost like an experience unto itself. And I love the idea of taking a second and just stepping back from your supermarket and saying, well, what's actually here? And maybe I shouldn't just travel the same exact path that I always travel here. Exactly. Um, Let's do a really quick little speed round. And I don't know if you'll be able to have speedy thoughts on these, but let's see. Thoughts on colonics. Nay. Um, so, you know, the, the research around them suggests they can be quite risky, not only about like perforating your gut if, um, you know, the, the pressure is applied in the wrong direction. Um, but also once you flush out your intestine, yes, for some people that can help with constipation in the short term, uh, but actually it can kill off some of your beneficial bacteria and what then repopulates your gut is something you can't necessarily control. And also your gut can get addicted to it and used to needing these flush outs in order to, to, you know, have a regular bowel movement. And then people get caught in this, this vicious cycle of really relying on colonic. So yeah, I'm, I'm nay to, (laughs) to colonic. I recently said on Instagram that I was like super opposed and I got so many DMS from people who were like, But so many people on Instagram recommend it. And I'm like, if you can send me one doctor who recommends it, I would love that. And they're all just like influencers, mostly in LA, you know? (laughs) I know who are probably getting some sort of perk back from it. For Um, sure. Just like send me one doctor and then I'll I'll believe you or or I'll listen to you at least a little bit more. Um, What about food combining or the idea that you should only eat certain foods together so as not to impact your digestion? Yeah, I actually just did a blog on this, so I should link it up um, to your podcast notes. Um, so it's definitely uh, grounded in a cultural belief around the um, Ayurvedic way of, of um, eating. So it's certainly nothing against that, but if we just put our scientific hats on, 
there is um, no science uh, to suggest that things like fruit needs to be eaten on an empty stomach or you should never combine dairy and fruit because of the protein and the fats and the sugars um, because actually our body, our stomach, is um, the way that the enzymes are released is very much in tune with being able to digest a range of different types of uh, macronutrients, so the fats, the proteins, and carbs all together. So, yeah, with this, with my scientific hat on, there is uh, no evidence to suggest that you shouldn't be food combining. In fact, we know that in some elements, food combining can be really beneficial for helping you, you know, maximize the absorption. For example, we know that combining, you know, sources of vitamin C such as tomatoes and you know peppers with Things like lentils and chickpeas can really help your body absorb the types of iron found in the lentils and the chickpeas. So actually food combining scientifically is probably more beneficial than it is harmful. That's so interesting. Thoughts on digestive enzyme supplements, like do they work? And if you're going to take them, is there a specific thing that we should be looking for? So there are there is some types of digestive enzymes where there's good evidence for. For example, if you have lactose intolerance, um, then ta- taking the lactase enzyme uh, whenever you're having lactose, so things like milk, absolutely can help because what it doing is doing is, is digesting that lactose uh, for you because you your body lacks the enzyme, the lactase enzyme. So that makes sense. Also. Um, if you find that when you're having loads of beans, so things like your legumes, um, that you get really gassy, then there is a specific type of um, enzyme. Uh, it's the the brand, I think, uh, the only one Bino. that I'm aware of is the Beanio. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we know that that can also help um, relieve some of that bloating because it, what it does is break down uh, the the component of the legumes um, called galacto-oligosaccharides, uh, which is a type of FODMAP actually, um, and that can help digest it in the small intestine instead of making the bacteria digest all of that. So that can also help. In terms of these multi-digestive enzymes, unless you have pancreatic insufficiency, which is a medical condition where you absolutely know about because you'd need to have gone to hospital, et cetera, and they prescribe you these really high-strength digestive enzymes, then these multi-ones you get over the counter, actually there's really a limited scientific evidence for them. All right. So go take a walk to help your digestion afterwards because there's actually scientific evidence for that. Yeah, absolutely. What's one gut health thing that a lot of people think is helpful or works, but it actually doesn't? Oh, gosh, there are are so many (laughs) myths out there. Um, I think for a lot of people, uh, they've read that long fast is beneficial for the gut Mm. and and you know that's not the case uh we know that if you go on these extended fasts then actually it really is difficult for you to reach your quota of dietary fiber and actually can then starve your gut bacteria and the science has shown in animals anyway that when the bacteria are being starved they start to eat the gut lining and that can weaken your gut lining That's um, the grim. Mucus, the <laughs> mucus component, so it doesn't actually eat your skin. The mucus component, so therefore it makes things more likely to penetrate through your gut lining. So actually, yeah, going on these long fasts is not thought to be good for the gut. And how are you defining extended? Uh, any any longer than I would say, you know, 20 hours. Got it. When I worked as a magazine editor, I wrote more than a thousand articles about turmeric because pretty much all of the doctors that I used as sources kept recommending it or citing it as one of the supplements that they would personally take. Here's the background. Turmeric is one of the most powerful ways to fight inflammation. 
In a nutshell, there are two types of inflammation, acute and chronic. Acute inflammation can actually be a good thing. It's one of the ways that your body heals and repairs itself. But when that system goes haywire, we get chronic inflammation, which essentially makes your body feel like it's constantly under attack. The vast majority of doctors I work with cite chronic inflammation as one of the root causes of so many of our modern ailments, and research links inflammation with heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, cancer, arthritis, and gut issues like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. I am never going to sit around and tell you that a supplement will cure everything that ails you, but if you're looking for a turmeric supplement to help get your inflammation under control, I am extremely impressed with Paleo Valleys. To increase the bioavailability of turmeric, you need to consume it with black pepper, which most people know, and fat, which many people forget about. Paleo Valley's turmeric complex has black pepper and coconut oil to maximize absorption and three other powerful anti-inflammatories, ginger, rosemary, and clove, for a maximum synergistic response. It also has no fillers, binders, or preservatives and is made with all organic ingredients and just a veggie capsule. Finally, it's third-party tested, which is something I always look for in supplements as extra assurance of their quality. I've had my uncle taking this for about three months, and he's gone from having debilitating back pain due to an autoimmune condition to being almost completely pain-free. Paleovality has a number of other incredibly high-quality food-derived supplements, including a vitamin C that I adore. Vitamin C is my ultimate favorite supplement for skin health and a neuro-effect mushroom powder that Zach loves for increasing energy and focus. So definitely explore their website. If you'd like to check out the turmeric complex, the vitamin C, the neuro-effect, or any of Paleo Valley's other amazing products, head over to paleovalley.com and use the code LizM for 15% off. That's paleovalley.com and code LizM for 15% off your order. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I love chatting about this stuff. Now, let's get back to the episode. Can you end us on one gut health like homework assignment for us? Like one thing we could all do during this holiday season, but maybe going forward that might be like, we're all going to eat more plants after this episode. We, You have convinced me and I'm sure that you've convinced everybody listening, but maybe something that's very nuanced and specific that we could add into our day or our week going forward. You know, I'm going to pick a non-diet um, approach and that would be taking five minutes out to really relax that gut-brain axis. I think around the festive period, you know, we're going to so many parties, we're staying up late. You know, we're trying to finish off work deadlines. Like it's all a bit manic. But finding five minutes just to do either some belly breathing, so diaphragmic breathing, like where you breathe into your stomach, so expand your stomach, and then breathing out, doing that for five minutes, you know, doing some um, gut-directed yoga flow for five minutes, going for a walk for five minutes, but just literally blocking in your diary five minutes where you are relaxing that connection because I find a lot of people, you know, 20% of people experience gut symptoms on a daily basis. A lot of that stress isn't necessarily what they're eating, but the the kind of connection that occurs between the gut and the brain, which I know we haven't spoken that much about, but it's called the gut-brain axis. So if you're really stressed in your head, even subconsciously, that is sending really stressy signals down to your gut and kind of strangles your gut and means that everything is on the on the back foot in terms of digestion and how our bowels move, et cetera. So taking that five minutes out to relax that gut brain axis really can uh, have far reaching benefits. That's why I always, people always say when they go on vacation, they're like, oh, the 
way they process the food is so different in Italy and whatever. And I'm like, maybe, or maybe you're not stressed for the first time all year. And that's made your gut actually absorb and digest your food differently. Absolutely. That, that's often uh, the correct answer. If people wanted to find out more about you, you listed so many resources in this one resource, I'd really love you to point us in the direction of finding out more about is that gut directed yoga, because I think a lot of people are going to be interested in that, but that and in general, where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, the gut directed yoga flow. I actually have that in uh, in my book, Love Your Gut. So um, there was a clinical trial which showed that gut directed yoga flow had an equal benefit to the low format diet. Remember that diet I spoke about for IBS. So what I did is took that clinical trial protocol, I gave it to my yogi friend Richie Norton, and I said, "Hey, can you condense this protocol down into a fifteen minute yoga flow that people could easily do at home on their own?" And he worked his magic and I put it in the book so people can check that out uh, where, yeah, it taught, it walks you through the, the steps to, to really relax that two-way communication. And then people can find um, loads of free recipes and everything uh, at theguthealthdoctor.com or follow me on social at theguthealthdoctor. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to try out that yoga flow. It's just such a great thing, especially during the time when we just want something quick and easy we can do to nourish our bodies. So I, I love that. And I so appreciate you taking the time to share all of your wisdom with us. It's an absolute pleasure. And it's so, uh, so great that, you know, you are spreading the evidence-based word because there's so much cloud and confusion out there. And it's really limiting people's you know ability to make the most out of the scientific discovery of our gut. And likewise to you, you're doing such important work. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I hope you loved that episode. I hope you learned so much. I certainly did. I feel like I'm never going to have to feel constipated again. I'm going to be walking and including all of my plans and, oh, that white chocolate bark that she talked about. I'm definitely going to be making that 100%. I would love to hear your thoughts on the episode, and I know that Dr. Rossi would too, so definitely screenshot and tag us both on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and she is at the Gut Health Doctor. And if you loved this episode, the two best ways to support this podcast is to do a quick rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world. It really helps other people find the podcast. And then share the episode with somebody in your life that you think would benefit from this information. Not only does it help spread the science-backed word, which is just great in general, and it helps people feel good. It helps their guts feel good. It helps them just feel better in their bodies. But it also really helps support this podcast. It's the most loveliest and appreciated thing from my perspective. So people are always asking, how can we help support the podcast? Those two ways are it, and they are so infinitely appreciated. And I'm so grateful for every one of you who does both of those things. I see them both on a daily basis, and I love you all for it. All right. And don't forget, if you need to order your HT decks, your Healthier Together Conversation Starter decks, those are on htdeck.com. Get them before they sell out. Again, Get them in time for all of your holiday presents. They're $25, so great for stocking stuffers, for coworkers, for family members, for partners, really for basically anybody that you need a present for in your life. And that's it from me. I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. I hope it gets even better with all of this amazing information that Dr. Rossi shared in this episode. And I will see you on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. It takes a lot for a health supplement company to wow me, but Symbiotica really breaks the mold. 
If you haven't discovered them yet, they make really different products than any other supplement company I've seen before. They have a lot, so I highly recommend that you check out their website and take their quiz to find out what's best for your specific goals. But I wanted to call out a few of my personal favorites. First of all, the topical magnesium. You all know I love magnesium, and I've always wanted a topical spray that wasn't sticky, that felt good and luxurious to use, and that actually let the magnesium absorb into my body, which requires DMSO as an ingredient, which I have actually never seen in any other product. If you have achy muscles or sore feet, this is literal heaven, and I also love it before bed to help with sleep. And then I have become increasingly interested in minerals. We talk a lot about vitamins, but adequate minerals are so key for energy. And unfortunately, it's become harder to get adequate minerals because our soil is so depleted of them. The Symbiotica Shilajit supplement is one of the best mineral supplements that I've found. And the research around Shilajit is profound. There's robust human and animal research that shows it acts on ATP in a way that significantly helps restore and create energy, which is one of the biggest things that I love it for as a low-caffeine consumer. There's also robust research around its anti-inflammatory properties, its brain protective properties, and more. I think of it more as a whole food than a supplement. It's a naturally occurring resin, and I just mix a little bit of it into my afternoon tea or my decaf coffee drinks. And like all Symbiotica products, there are no additives, fillers, toxins, or artificial flavors. Of course, I have a special discount for you. You can use code LizMoody to get 15% off plus free shipping on subscription orders. Again, that's code LizMoody for 15% off on symbiotica.com. <laughs> 